The Booknook on WYSO was presented by the Greene County Public Library, with additional support from Wright Memorial Public Library, Clark County Public Library, Tip City Public Library, Dayton Metro Library, and Washington Centerville Public Library. Hello, welcome to the Book Nook on WYSO. I'm Vic McCunis. I've been joined on the telephone by Steve Brody. He's out there in uh, beautiful Cedarville, Ohio. Welcome to the program, Steve. Oh, great to be here. Thanks, Vic. Steve, uh, before we get into your work, uh, let's talk a little bit about you. Who are you? Well, um, I'm actually a, a native of Columbus, but living outside of Cedarville now in a in a home from the 1890s that uh, was owned by my wife Susie's family. In fact, there's so many of Susie's family around this area that it's almost like a compound. <laughs> Is she a DeWine? Uh, no, but oh, okay. actually DeWine, DeWine used to be their family lawyer years uh-huh. and years ago. Uh-huh. Right. But you're not telling yeah. us much about yourself. You just live out there by Cedarville, but who are you? <laughs> well, I'm an academic by trade. Uh, I retired after 26 years from Missouri State University and came to Wittenberg in Springfield and stayed another 17 years. Okay, that's good. And uh, let's see, what else? I guess I'm the lead singer for a rock band, a classic rock band called Whitfree from this area. Mm-hmm. Tom and Stafford in that band? That's right. He's uh, our drummer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just saw Tom downtown. Ah, okay. Small world. Well, we just... We just did an interview with uh, with Tom about uh, the, the the week that the Beatles first came on to Ed Sullivan. And you saw it? And, oh, yeah. Uh-huh. I still remember it. And I remember what everybody's parents had to say about it as well. Uh-huh. Did you have a big <laughs> sister who was screaming during the performance? I had a little sister who was trying to do that. Uh, yeah. Okay. All right. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a little bit before my time, but I do remember... We have a really big shoe. I do remember that. <laughs> I remember that guy. That okay. was back in the days when Sullivan represented the culture of the entire country. There's nothing like him today. Well, I remember the look on his face when uh, Pete Townsend destroyed his guitar. <laughs> you remember that? I remember it, too. Uh-huh. Yep. Yeah, those were the days. All right. Well, um, you're also a poet. I don't think you mentioned that in your brief bio. Did you mention that you're a poet? If you did, I missed it. There is that as well. Okay. I thought that that's what we're getting to today. All right. So we're crawling towards rhymes and runes. That's right. This is a brand new collection that I've edited that, uh, in a specialized way, deals with uh, some of the great poets of the Miami Valley area. In fact, this is the second volume I've edited that uh, samples those poets. The first one was back in 2016 when we did a fest shrift for uh, Conrad Balliet. That was from and the tower? Called, yeah, from uh, the tower. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Okay. But Ryman Room's more specialized. We ask the poets to tell us a little bit about how they write and then to include poems about the writing. And makes for a fascinating volume. Just came out the end of last year. Okay. And your poetry. Let's talk about your poetry before we talk about some of these other poets. So what kind of stuff well, do you do? You know, I'd, I'd hate to try to classify myself, except that I look for 
direct and, and mostly simple language. I look for the right word in the right place, and I look for something surprising. Um, I've got, I, I suspect I've got two, a couple of sources of my writing, and the first really is having the privilege of living in the country in the present generation of farmers and people whose families had been farmers. And I get a chance to see how that's changed from a previous generation to this one. That was the subject of my first chapbook called uh, Earth Inside Them. And secondly, I, I guess uh, I'm just in love with the, with the, um, with the area of the, of the Miami Valley. I, I love the country. I love the cities, uh, uh, Dayton, Springfield. Um, and I, there's a lot that I write that has to do with the area. That creeps in as well. I love your poem, Archie's Time. Uh, yeah, that, could, that actually comes from uh, a real story. I'll bet it does. Uh, <laughs> yeah, about a, a guy who had a, a little shop set up next to... Uh, car dealership and he would uh, he'd come in and he'd talk all the time and he, he was retired he retired himself and he came in and talked about himself and that's where that that poem comes from was he really a hundred years old uh-huh he certainly was amazing and was that in missouri yep that was from uh, the springfield missouri area uh-huh okay so you've gone from springfield to springfield you should be on The Simpsons. <laughs> That's another one. And from Green County to Green County. Oh, is that right? Huh. That's right. Wow. Okay, so will you share a poem with us? Have you got something you're prepared to read? Well, I've got a number of things. Let's see. Um, something new, maybe? Sure. Okay, this is uh, one I just shared with uh, my poetry group, uh, an offshoot of the one that Conrad Bally had had at his home for many years. We call ourselves the Tower Poets, but we meet at my one-story house instead. This one's called Sycamore Hollow. In snow now, every bleach tree seems a sycamore, and tall sycamores themselves are suddenly more themselves, brooding, pale, twisting as if always driven by gale. Legend says that some are witches, those rooted in hollows, drinking deep from mud-dark ditches, steaming streams, or enchanting roads through old covered bridges. I live alone near a wood imbued with their magic, and this bitter day they seem hard at secluded thought, half tragic, half slow wrath of seedlings lost and old friends fallen. This windless day I walk the wood, sliding my numbing hands and feet on the clean, cold skin of February and the frigid cuticle of bark as if they were dead things, but they are not. As I rest my back for just a moment against a slender stripling's curving trunk, I sense a warm breath, vital pulse, quickening flow of precocious spring replacing the faint flickers of winter's heart. Though sycamore hollow seems set on harm, the charms that brooding that trees do cast perhaps save essence of summer's past to warm the coming year. That's, That's a winter poem. It's a winter poem. Now, you said you lived alone in that poem. I 
stretch things a little okay. bit. Okay, just I'm I'm just checking. <laughs> I, I was wondering how autobiographical some of this stuff is because I'm mm, I'm sure a lot of it is. Yeah, the the view of the land and the and the sycamores themselves is real. But I'm really happily married to my wife Susie. We have the greatest sycamores around here. Uh, they they take some getting used to, but once you once you know them, they're they're great trees. If you're just tuning in, my guest is Steve Brody, and you're listening to the Book Nook on WYSO, sharing community voices through inspired storytelling. Let's talk about some of these contributors in uh, Rhyme and Rune, poets of the Miami Valley. Yeah, you know, the Rhyme and Rune, uh, for me, when I when I put it together, really opened my eyes a little bit about the variety of approaches to poetry that some of the really good poets of this area take. I wanted to read, if you don't mind, a couple. Um, some of my favorites are Catherine Essinger, uh, David Garrison, and uh, a Yellow Springs poet who just never seems to get published but ought to have books and books after him, Robert Peschel. So um, let me read one from Kathy, uh, page 13. Uh, Kathy's up um, north in the Miami Valley, up with the Greenville poets. Here's one that she titles with a quote from William Carlos Williams, No ideas except in things. Today I should be writing about the blue alphabet block that I carry in one hand. It bites into my palm, making it difficult to hold on to other things. But I want to write about the small animal asleep at my elbow, his fur holding my prints, the light undercoat showing through where I have rubbed him the wrong way. Are you reading symbolism into this? Good. Symbolism is rampant in our lives. Every day we're bludgeoned by its meaning. Only art can afford to be subtle. Outside a night train sobs in the dark about distance, distant misunderstandings, while the moon, that ancient cynic, rises in degrees like a watermark on an antique table. I'm telling you, if I believed in coincidence, luck, or fate, I would make a religion out of this. See how the light chooses one goblet, but not the next. See how the water shivers at your touch. You're listening to The Book Nook on WYSO, and I'll continue my conversation with Steve Brody right after this. The Book Nook continues on WYSO. I've been joined on the program today by the poet Steve Brody. It's called The Home of Paul Lawrence Dunbar. Uh Uh-huh, sure. You have to drive through Dayton, a city segregated by a river, to find the first black poet of America, Past movie theaters where a sign that read colored used to hang above the entrance to the balcony stairs. Past the office building where Dunbar worked as an elevator, pressing his forearm on a lever to send it up and down all day. Chatting with the white folks, he ushered in and out of the sliding lattice door. Take the bridge to a neighborhood of broken windows and lonely storefronts advertising Jesus to a yard with boxwoods bordering the porch, to a home so neatly maintained that you expect at any moment to see a man in a black suit 
pull open the screen door and sit down in his rocker, a man who will tell you why the caged bird sings. A tribute to Maya Angelou. Yeah. Uh-huh. You know, it's, uh, it's an indirect way of talking about one way of looking at writing mm-hmm. as looking at looking at around you and looking at how what's around you affects the subject that you're writing about. You mentioned Robert Pichel, who I've known for 30 years, and uh, he's an amazing guy and, and one of our most colorful characters in the Yellow Springs area. And yeah. I, I'm looking forward to hearing this uh, poem. Yeah, we know him for the, for his colorful appearance and activities and, and the wonderful puns that he puts on his T-shirts that he sells on the street in Yellow Springs. But I've got to tell you, I think the man's a genius uh, with his... It was his integration of what he knows and loves about science and about the world around him and his talent for language, language that he never forgets. I, I don't think he's ever forgotten a poem, a poem that he's written. Mm. Uh, he's amazing. Here's just a short one from Rhyme and Rune. Poetry is of the moment or nothing. If your poetry molecule fits, whoopee. Mm-hmm. If not, the buzzer sounds. You're dragged off stage by the crook of crook of uh, circumstance. I think it would be wonderful if we could all read poems simultaneously, or not. Pour as many voices as crickets do into the pot of silence. Robert uh, has an amazing capacity for language and um, uh, if you'll you'll humor me I want to read one of his poems great okay this is Robert Pichel from from the uh, in the poetry warehouse okay Okay. this this shows his his love for language right in the poetry warehouse myriads of plethoras sit breathing heavily leaning wearily against battered steamer trunks full of fuzzy twuzzes, brittle twicks, teeming eons, and barely ears. The oh my God and likes are on their phones and can't be bothered or are realizing, oh my God, that like poetry was the original virtual reality long before AI and VR and WTF! The older poems muse reverently, fervently, on midnight rides, churchyards, northern stars, skylarks, and wine-dark seas. The more modern ones are a curious bunch, to be sure, exploring blank walls and shadowy recesses with equal intensity, unfancying stanzas, Forgetting to put quarters in the meter. Challenging pauses. Who says you're a sasura? Borrowing scissors and thithers. Canyoning yawns. Pinion pines. Alanons. And once uponds. Roaming about. They're all over the place. In an unabashed show of camaraderie. The beats are partying with the ancient Greeks. Clamus and cannabis in evidence cups of honeyed wine, a small harp with a tortoiseshell sound box, berets as black as Anubis and Anis. 
The Elizabethan coterie is penning couplets in doublets, doubling down on best feather beds, folding enjambment into measures iambic, hoeing metered rows in velvet hose. What's up, Dr. Marlowe? Celebrating the rose in a five-sided chamber with an intergalactic view. Rap is thumping away, laying down a soul-shaking heartbeat, a twitching pulse, pounding on diaphragms, twanging spoken word strings, blatantly insinuating itself as the default soundtrack to the broadband, at-hand, tech-king honey, and vinaigrette internet of things. We don't care if we are taken lightly, say the Cavaliers, stamping elegantly booted feet, plucking an ostrich feather from wide-brimmed hats, using it to spear a stewed new potato and plopping it into their collective watery mouth. The slam entries crouch ready to lunge, speedo and tank top clad, sheathed in spandex, sporting black leather and crash helmets. And in one corner, there's Cummings typing with one finger as the page leaps madly about in Bacchanalian throes of spring. <laughs> and that's from Rhyme and Room as well. Robert Pachelle, what a language guy. He is I mean, it's just so fun to hear him roll the words together and, and see the connections between them. Couplets and doublets. I mean, come on, this guy's incredible. <laughs> And he's um, working. To, I'm working to put it together enough to make a book that we can, that we can sell as well. This is a man who deserves to be published. I agree. Good work. So, so tell us more about some of this other work. I see there's a book called "Little Black Box: Speculative Poetry from Ohio" that you've been involved with. Yeah, this is uh, a, a book that uh, Anna Kate uh, from Wilmington put together. Um, she is probably probably the most prolific uh, of the writers in the uh, in this uh, part of the country. Um, she has a whole series of books that are come out. The Little Black Box book uh, was one, of the, and you see it in the in the title, "Speculative Poetry from Ohio." Uh, she Anna's. Uh, interested in sometimes the dark side of the world, but also in magic and in things that um, that go bump in the night. Mm -hmm. and, and what is speculative poetry? What does that mean? Well, for Anne, it's a very broad term, uh, one that has to do with everything from horror through science fiction, simply to everyday, everyday uh, uh, light magic. Anything that that uh, that sort of twicks our imagination about the future or about what underlies the reality we live in, um, and uh, she's very she's very good at what she does. And you are in this uh, collection. You have some speculative yeah, I have poetry. A, mm -hmm. I have a few in there. Mm -hmm. I could read one from that. If, you, if you're up for it, I, I know you've got a lot of stuff you're prepared to read, so I don't want to put you off, off your track. Oh, it's no problem. It comes from a, a display that I saw at the, uh, the Ohio State Museum Library once about some artifacts um, that had to do with uh, uh, John Glenn. So this is called Toward a, it's called Toward a Poetic 
of space travel, reflections on a display of Glenn's papers at the OSU library. When John Glenn was alone in the dark of his isolation training pod, he thought of his wife, he thought of God, but he required light. Remarks scrawled blindly on a yellow pad trace his frantic search. He found he could force a spark, just a flicker, of course, by tearing off the pages. He tore like mad until two thick sheets, thin sheets only remained. On the first of these, he wrote, next time try poetry. On the second, that rhyme and sense in the dark had kept him sane. The light turned inward. He could see to begin the shaping of lonely, lyrical space discipline. Is that your favorite poem? Because I see that one's been reproduced several times. Yeah, it's been in a couple, uh-huh. mostly because I forgot that I'd had it in, a few, in an earlier one. When you, were, when you were a kid, was he your hero? He was. He was one of them. Uh-huh. He was and my I hero, never, too. Ah, really? Oh, yeah. In I fact, never... I interviewed him on this program for over an hour, and uh, we were we were doing a live show, and, and Fresh Air was supposed to come up after the, the show ended, but we hadn't even gotten to him returning to space yet, and we just kept talking, and he just stayed on the phone, and, and we talked for over an hour, and that was wow. the realization you never get to meet your heroes, and I got to meet my hero that day. And, and uh, That's wonderful. I mean, in all the lives that he lived and all the places he, he went, uh, he always stood out as, as, as someone to admire. And he met Annie in the playpen when they were little, little kids. <laughs> they, they were in the playpen together in New Concord. Wow. Wow. <laughs> I know you've got another wow. poem from that collection. What, what is it? That you're going to share Let me call, read a, a, sh- a short one um, that a, first appeared in Dark Matter, I think, called Vacuity. And I hope it's not one your re- listeners will find vacuous. <laughs> Up close, most of an atom is ether. Through space unending, dark matter dominates. The tangible is tenuous and lonely. And so we seem to see that if we speed on, heedless, we may dodge through walls and galaxies without contact. Truth, like the wind, finds form in what is moved. There is so much that is nothing. We can barely believe that we may touch. I like that. Now I'm getting the impression that you did a lot of poetry, and then you just kind of lost interest in it. And, and, and then when you moved into this area, somehow you got inspired again. Can you tell us the story how that happened? When I had moved here to take a position in the education department at, uh, at um, Wittenberg, um, I hadn't been at work more than, I would guess, maybe three or four weeks when uh, my wife called me and told me she got a call from someone named Conrad Balliot. And he introduced himself. He said, this is Conrad Balliot from Conrad's Corner, as though she had an idea of what that was. And, but I did, because I'd been listening to it uh, most evenings uh, as one of the 
really odd things about the area, something unique, as a matter of fact. I, I had never heard of Poetry Minutes on radio before, but uh, I, I knew that he had some good poets on. So I called him back and said, yeah, I mean, I'm interested in joining the Tower Group if you're interested in having me, but how did you even know that I was writing and thinking about writing poetry? From that question, he didn't have any answer at all. I think the man had a crystal ball someplace. <laughs> well, he probably heard rumors at Wittenberg about you. That guy, the new guy, he writes uh, poems, or he used to write poems. Didn't, didn't you kind of stop, though? Weren't you kind of like inactive? You know, when I when I was in the midst of my career, I concentrated on scholarly writing. I'm a philosopher by education and by trade, and I was writing for two or three conferences a year, um, writing for uh, grant projects that I was part of, and I, I was just involved in that so much that I I just sort of bypassed the poetry, even though. At, not too many years before at Missouri State, I had uh, gotten an award from the Missouri Missouri Review Contest, which surprised the heck out of me. But I, I, somehow I just didn't get into it until I joined Conrad's group, okay. and then it became a passion. All right. Well, you probably weren't in the area yet uh, when Conrad first uh, went on to WISO as a volunteer host, and his timing was excellent because— Back in the late 1980s, there was a woman here at the station whose name at the time was Ruth Dawson. And, and by the time I came to the station in, in 1993, her married name was Ruth Yellowhawk. She's the late Ruth Yellowhawk. And she did a poetry program as a volunteer programmer back in the 80s, and she was very fond of poetry. So when Conrad approached her, she was open to that. And, and uh, for some years there— um, he used to do a regular weekly program. I think it was 30 minutes long. I, I know at least one time I, I substituted for him and, and filled in as the host, and, and those were some large shoes to occupy. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I, didn't, uh, I wasn't there at the origin of all that. Uh -huh. I was there at the end of it. Uh -huh. We still miss him. And the you Tower know, Poets, tell us about them. You've been mentioning them. Who are they? Um, the Tower Poets are, are a group of Miami Valley poets that, uh, for one reason or another, gravitated toward um, Conrad's group. Um, let's see, I, was, I came in 2001, and so up until 2000, I forget if it was 2015 or 16, where he, he passed away, um, I was part of that group, and and it was very a, a very disparate group as well. Um, some people had been there evidently from the, the first time that he uh, met with the group up in the tower that he had built at his home uh, in the in the country, um, and others like me sort of just found their way one way or another into uh, his group. Uh, I still remember he used to bake bread every time that we. Uh, that we met, and sometimes he'd forget to put ingredients in, and we'd get a loaf that was sort of more like a rock, but most of the time it was pretty good. Uh -huh. We we look forward to it, and we look forward to um, his his warm environment, his welcoming as he really was. And in the compilation from the tower, which came out a couple of years before Conrad died, 
you have some of his poetry in the collection at the end of the book. And uh, one poem called Not Yet is really a poem about loss and a poem about looking at uh, mortality. That's right. And that's what he was looking to at the time. He uh, he always claimed that he couldn't write poetry. He just uh, shepherded along. And and he certainly did. He, he was a uh, the inspiration and the mover and shaker behind a lot of things, like the Dayton Public Library uh, competitions almost every year. Um, Everybody sort of turned in his direction for for leadership. And he was a scholar of uh, William Butler Yeats and and thus the Tower, and readers of Yeats will recognize the connection. That's right. Uh, He was a scholar of uh, English and Irish poetry and uh, his last interest then was with Yeats. He spent a good deal of time in Ireland. He was impressed uh, with the tower and uh, decided he needed to build one himself. Mm. It's still there. Well, Steve, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Uh, it's been my pleasure. Thank you so much for inviting me on. My guest has been Steve Brody, and the books we've been talking about are From the Tower, Poetry in Honor of Conrad Balliot, Rhyme and Rune, Poets of the Miami Valley, edited by Steve Brody, Little Black Box, Speculative Poetry from Ohio, edited by Anna Cates, and a really uh, nice collection of poems by Steve Brody called Earth Inside Them. You've been listening to the Book Nook on WYSO. Uh, Thanks so much again, Steve. You're welcome. You're listening to The Book Nook on WYSO. Don't go away. We have a special bonus segment coming up right after this. The Book Nook continues on WYSO with a bonus segment. And uh, back in 2003, when I was still hosting the Excursions Music Program, I used to have a lot of musical guests. And we had a guy stop in who was a very literary songwriter from Austin, Texas, named Darden Smith. He had a CD out called Sunflower, and I looked him up just to see what he's been up to. He's still active as a musician. He's also published a couple of books in the last 10 years about songwriting. Let's listen now to our bonus segment. This is Darden Smith performing from his album Sunflower back in 2003.
Stronger every day. 
hole I never thought would fill Started to Getting stronger, strong, stronger. I get a little bit stronger every day. this problem but I've got it licked I learned to tell the difference between a miracle and a magic trick Darden why'd they call you Darden? I was named after a uh, first of all my, bro- uh, my brother and sister both had names that started with D and with a name like Smith, you've got to, my, my father always figured you had to come out shooting, you know, because uh, it's just, it, you're just like, I don't know, Smith is just sort of very, it's very ordinary, actually. And uh, so uh, they have both, my brother has a very odd name, my father has an odd name, and uh, so they knew this guy who was a uh, rodeo, kind of a B-grade rodeo star in Texas named Darden. His name is Darden Jacobs, and... Uh, so they named me after him. Huh. So I was named after a rodeo star. Wow. <laughs> That's pretty cool. He he wasn't very good, though. I mean, he was okay. I saw him rope. He used to rope, and he rode barrels. I don't know if you've ever seen anyone ride barrels. Yeah, I've seen it. But it's an amazing, it's actually a really amazing uh, little bit of ballet between it, a horse and rider. Isn't that usually what, what the women do? Yeah, but there's men barrel racing, too. Okay. I mean, it's, it's uh, but he used to do it. He, he actually came out to our farm, the farm where I grew up, and, and uh, we set up some 55-gallon drums, and he, did barrel racing for us one day. It was really cool. You know, I remember that. I was about probably four or five. You know, I've so. seen women do it, and that's just phenomenal. It's really, it's incredible. You know. So anyway, that's the story. Darden, named after the rodeo star. That's right. Smith. He joins us on excursions, and his new album is called Sunflower. It just came out on the Dual Tone label, and uh, they're out of Nashville, aren't they? Yes, Dual Tone is. is mm-hmm. They're based in Nashville. They're a supreme label. They're really great. I'm very grateful to be on them. Do we got time for another one? Sure, man. I don't have to be anywhere till eight, so you tell me. (laughs) (laughs) After all this time, after all this time, after all this time. After all, talk about love, talk about living, talk about trying to be forgiven now. I don't see it, do as I say and not as I do. Never thought that it was me and you, but the towel I've been treated. Just thought I turned around so young. 
see All the damage done And after all this time After all this time After all this time How to love How to live The bittersweet gift we give From my father, from your mother How we hurt one another now You gotta stop it It's not like you're the only one to blame Throw words like letter knives Treat love like it's a game And after all this time well, After all this time After all this time After all, baby, we know how to tell a lie. Do you think it just once before we die? But we could tell the truth. After all this, after all this time. After all this time, after all this time. After all, after all this time, after all this
travel far To find the star that ever now and then will spin around me Baby, I refuse to be a Saturday To your song track from the new album by Darden Smith and he recorded it live in studio just now for your ears and um, we've been orbiting uh, planet Darden Smith here on the Good Ship Why So? And that was your bonus segment on the book nook, a little musical interlude there, performance by uh, Darden Smith recorded live in the Why So? Studios back in 2003. He had a CD out called Sunflower. And if you go to WYSO.org and check out the Booknook pages, we have over a thousand podcasts there that you can listen to anytime you want. Author interviews that go clear back to 1994. And I know a lot of you go and look in that archive. Maybe you tuned in in the middle of an interview and you missed part of it and you want to listen to the rest of the interview. Or maybe you just want to hear something from a long time ago or from last year. Well, I must confess, we've been running behind on posting those podcasts, and I'm happy to tell you that we've gotten all caught up. We've been striving to do that, and by golly, I am so thrilled to be able to say that we have these podcasts pretty well caught up. In fact, just to give you an example of how thrilling that is for me as the guy who uh, sweats over these things, Recently, I interviewed George Pelicanos. It was our fourth interview. He's got a really hot book out, just came out, and we recorded the interview before the book came out. And he was very relaxed. We had a great conversation, talked about books, we talked about music, and we talked about the fact that he doesn't put out that many books. I interview him about every seven years. And that book is getting a lot of buzz right now. And the day after the book was officially published, we posted the podcast of that interview. And so I went on the only social media platform that I pay any attention to, which is Twitter or X or whatever they call it. And if you know anything about that platform, when you post something, you can then look and see how many people are clicking on it and how many people are retweeting it. And 
right after I posted the uh, link to the George Pelicanos podcast, Ian Rankin saw the post, and he got all excited about it, and he reposted it. And Ian has a gazillion followers on Twitter. And within the first 30 minutes, that thing was up that Ian Rankin retweeted. We had 30 people click on that podcast. In the first hour, we had 60 people click on it. These are people that follow Ian Rankin. And I've got to say, I was pretty excited and thrilled. And the funny thing is, when I wrote up the podcast, I mentioned Ian Rankin by name because he and George Pelicanos are two guys who love talking about music during their novels. They, they have all these musical references in there. And I mentioned Ian Rankin in the notes, and I don't know if he even saw that when he retweeted the post, but by golly, it's so great to have over a thousand podcasts up there. So if you've been looking for one, if you've been wondering about one, go to WYSO.org and I'll bet you'll find it now. For the Book Nook, I'm Vic McCunis. Thanks as always for listening and for supporting your public radio station. We love what we do here and we love the fact that you listen. <laughs>